This season, Handcut Radio is sponsored by Thomas Mason, an historic British textiles brand which is owned and protected by the Albini Group. Dating back to 1796 and founded in the town of Nelson, Lancashire, Thomas Mason has long specialised in luxurious, superfine shirting fabrics, which are known equally for their quality, design flair and textile innovation. From the invention of Zephyr in 1818 to the company's pioneering work in the traceability of cotton today, if you like to have your shirts made, Thomas Mason is the cloth to ask for. Huge thanks to the Thomas Mason team for making this season possible. Now, on with the show. Hello stylish folk and welcome to another episode of Handcut Radio. This week I'm chatting to a young designer you really should have on your radar if you don't already. Peter Middleton, the founder of Wythe. Wythe has become a firm favourite of mine over the past couple of seasons. It's a perfectly formed menswear brand with a crystal clear point of view to make contemporary American menswear through the lens of Peter's own Texan roots. We talk about this during the episode, as well as some of the challenges Peter's had to overcome, which include self-funding from one startup product through to full-look seasonal collections, and the frustrating loss of his last collection due to a freak warehouse flood, which surely has to be one of the toughest things a designer could encounter, particularly one who's going it alone. Despite setbacks like this, Peter revealed himself to be a stoic and stalwart creative during our conversation, attributes which make both him and Wythe even more likeable. As always, I really hope you enjoy the episode. Let's crack on. Peter, it is great to be here with you um, in your very cool studio (laughs) with your mood board looming over us with some really intriguing things on it. Yeah, looming is a good word. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And yeah, thank you for taking some time to chat to us. I wanted to talk to you today about resilience and the challenges of doing your own thing. Um, But I thought let's let's start in a safe place with a little bit of context. you started your career or your sort of professional career in clothing like mm-hmm. a few of our guests this season at Ralph Lauren. Yeah. Right. As a textile designer. Mm-hmm. That's correct. Fascinates me. Yeah. What did that entail? Uh yeah, well and to start off like I didn't realize that was a career either. I remember <laughs> um interviewing with like who would then be my boss. And, and they didn't give me a whole lot of context for the interview because I I just wanted to design, wanted to be a designer. Um and she kind of sh- said what they did, um, and and I she kind of was like, "Is this what they told you?" And I was like, "No, but this seems amazing." Um, and I was like, "Yeah, I, I honestly, this is the dream." And then I remember, and I was kind of shocked because I didn't really know what to expect. I just kind of thought I was walking into like assistant designer position, um, and then walking away, I remember thinking to myself, like, "Oh my gosh, this is the dream job." Like being a designer would be amazing, but most of what makes Ralph Lauren like the clothes, like so much of what makes the clothes so good is the fabric and the fact that the fabric's something you're not going to find anywhere else. And 
Um, they're gonna nail when they try to do a reproduction or like a recreation. They're gonna make sure it has the same hand feel. They're gonna make sure it has the same like kind of model look to it. Um, yeah, it was yeah walking. Away, I was like, I I did it. Like this is like the dream job. Um, yeah, and I was there for probably like four four and a half years, um, and it is yeah it's was that straight out of college or um, pretty much. So I'd interned with Faraday. Uh, for like about three and a half months over the summer, um, yeah, and then moved back. I neither times I really had a place to stay or really a job. Um, moved back to Austin for like three weeks because um, a bunch of friends were getting married, and then kind of after that stint, just realized like, okay, it doesn't matter. I don't care at this point if I don't have a job or don't have a place to stay. Like. I don't want to, I don't just don't want to be here anymore. Mm. Um, I kind of got a taste of it. And even though it really seemed absurd to go for it, that was the only thing I could think about. Um, yeah. So moved to New York officially with the intent of staying, um, in like October of 2016. And I was with Ralph probably like November 2nd or 3rd. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's incredible. I mean, they obviously just sort of saw something in you, didn't they? I mean, what, how, what was this sort of interview process like? Uh, I think they saw someone that wanted to work more than anything else. I mean, I think it's an assistant position like anything else. It's, you can teach almost, I, I would think that most jobs, you can teach anyone how to do anything as long as they want to learn and they want to work. And um, I think she saw that I had a, a bit of a background in textiles um and i think she saw that i had a love for what ralph lauren did so i think um at that point it's pretty easy to i mean she even i, I was doing women's and um my like senior thesis and everything had been men's and um she asked me if i thought it would be a problem and i was like no i don't think it'll be a problem like i can figure it out she's like yeah as long as you know like what a charmeuse and a chiffon are and i was like yeah i know what that is and then later on, i was like do i know what that is <laughs> couldn't really tell you a whole lot but I think I I think I know what it is I think I'll be fine um yeah um and it just you just kind of threw yourself in yeah I mean there's no other way to do it I mean it's yeah it was pretty amazing to just the things that you would pick up from being there um yeah and I think even realizing like I didn't even realize I learned some stuff until even I started live and I was working by myself doing stuff and the friends were like dude how did you do that I'd be like, what? What do you mean? And they're like, all the like, all these tones are matched together, and all these like colors are just so in sync. And I'd be like, oh, I, I didn't plan that. Like that was just like, oh, I love this color. I love what this is going on. I love how this these things look together. Um, and I think Ralph definitely taught me that um, without really making it explicit or a point to teach me that. Yeah, um, it was just embedded in the kind of philosophy exactly. and the culture. Yeah. So, so what was the process of designing a fabric like then? I mean, what, what, how, how does it go at the start of a, designing a collection for you? Um, for me, um, I mean, for me, I kind of start with a place or a story. Um, it's like for this fall 22 um, that I'll be like showing this week, uh, it was again, kind of the Adirondacks and kind of these old yellow bean catalogs and um, kind of what people were wearing to go deer hunting or whatever in like the 40s and the 50s. Um, and that was kind of what I was really inspired by. And um, then it was just kind of going from there and thinking of um, 
maybe what was and then figure out like, all right, well, that's what was. What what did, would this look like now? Mm. Um, what does a hunting jacket look like now? When it doesn't have to be technical, doesn't it needs to be somewhat functional, but I don't need to be selling this at Cabela's. I don't need to be selling this to like Bass Pro Shops. Like, um, what what would I want to wear if I was got invited to this last minute and I just grabbed something from my closet? Like, what would that be? Mm. Um, I feel like it's yeah, these like beautiful flannels, and it, it comes from those sort of visual mm-hmm. references and those mm-hmm. storytelling elements, and that's yeah. it. Sounds like that's sort of what you picked up at, at mm-hmm. RL as well. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Well, how did the how did this sort of idea for Wythe emerge then? You did mm. four and a half years at Ralph. Yeah. When did you start thinking, oh, maybe I could do my own thing? Uh, always. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was always what I wanted to do. Um, and I think I knew that I couldn't do it straight away. I needed to just kind of learn and be in a place where I was able to see that day in day out. Um, I didn't feel ready. I think was the, was the biggest thing is, um, I remember even at Faraday when I was there and I was learning a ton at Faraday cause the team was so small. So you're doing everything. Um, and I remember a friend asked me, he had an idea for like some jumpsuits and he was like, dude, we should just do this. And we were like 23 at the point. I was like, I, I'm not ready. Like, I don't know enough about this. Um, and I think I probably could have done it at that point, but I just didn't trust myself. Um, and I remember telling him like, man, I think I need like 10 years. And he, he was like, that's insane. Like, what about five? <laughs> and I was like, no, I told you 10. I'm not like going back down to five. Um, but that was kind of how long it took was five years. Um, and I definitely didn't think I was ready. I just think at that point I was like, I think maybe the same urges that um, kind of made me move to New York where I was just like, I ha- like this is all I'm thinking about. Um, I have to do this. There's, there's no way otherwise. I know we've, we've talked through the sort of that, that moment and that, mm-hmm. that journey before, but yeah. I'd love to go through that again for our listeners. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure, if I remember rightly, you was sort of working on a personal project to mm-hmm. design the perfect yeah. button down yeah. Yeah. while perfect still being at, at Ralph. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And somehow that sort of spiraled into, okay, I'm going to do Wythe. Yeah. Talk me through that, that sort of little journey. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I had a conversation with a coworker. Um, it was pretty pivotal as well, where she was just kind of talking about um, just her friends that had done personal projects as well. And kind of that those, just small one-offs like turned into their brands and turned into things that they loved. Um, and I didn't tell her at this point, but I was like, man, like that's what I want. Like I having a brand feels so overwhelming and so scary. Um, but I was like, yeah, but I, I could do like one thing. Um, and I'm just doing it for myself. It's not a brand at this point. Like, yes, you take all the pressure off yourself. mm, Yeah. And I was like, you know what? Like, I can't find this in the market and I really want it. And I want it to the point where I've already made a pattern myself and I would be, I don't want to sew all the shirts on my dining room table. Um, I would like to work with a factory hour and I know kind of where to get this fabric from or at least how to develop it. Um, and so at that point it was really like, you know what? Like 
I think if I do this, I'm going to want to buy 10 of these shirts and hopefully my friends, um, hopefully I could sell like 40 more so I could do like around 50. Um, and yeah, met with a factory. Their minimums were higher than 50. Um, <laughs> and same with like developing a custom fabric. Like they wanted more than a hundred meters. Um, and so I was like, okay, well, I still really want to do this. Um, and I believe in it and I really want to do it. And I think there is a market for this. So let's just go for it. Um, yeah, and ended up selling way more shirts than I thought I would. Um, and the response was really amazing. And it definitely seemed that um, people really did want the shirts and people really did see something special. Um, and kind of from there, it was, I was like, well, like I have more money than I've ever made. Just, I'm like working minimum wage job at Ralph. Like I have this like big lump sum. Um, and it, I could just keep making more shirts. Like that'd be totally great. Um, but I could also just really go for it and really like, I didn't know how much it would cost to build out the line, but I was like, you know what? I have money now. I might as well just go for it and see what happens. And, um, yeah, I was like, originally it was like, well, I should take these shirts to market. That'd be really cool. Um, and then ended up thinking like, yeah, but I also want to do other stuff. I want to like have a full seasonal line. Um, yeah. So that was kind of, yeah, I don't know how it snowballed. Um, it just—it sounds like you gave yourself the confidence to exactly. go, you know what, sod it, I'm going to do it. Uh, and I think I'm right in saying that this was all going on while COVID was raging on. Um, Is that right? Like right beforehand. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's like I had shown at market, and I remember, yeah, talking to Japanese buyers, um, and they were interested, but they're like, yeah, we, we think this is going to, we're canceling a lot of our fall orders. Like we don't, we don't, we think it's going to be pretty big. And I remember just, yeah, thinking like, oh, like, I, I how bad can be, it be? Yeah. Like I think it'll be <laughs> like swine flu or bird flu or these other things that like kind of people were really scared about. And then it didn't end up being a massive deal. Um, but I think just being like, well, like, but that's, that's y'all's choice. Like I can't really argue with y'all there. Um, and, yeah, and then here we are. Um, yeah, yeah. So you, so you, you sort of took the plunge. You went, okay, mm-hmm. guys, I'm out. Thank you for the last four and a half years. It's been amazing. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. I've got this idea for Wythe. I didn't tell them that, but I said, <laughs> hey, I'm not coming back. Yeah, fair. Yeah, and then COVID lands. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did you react to that? I mean, what was that like? Um, I mean, it was it was pretty scary, but at the same time, I didn't have. I mean, it was just me. Um, that's the like steam pipe. Ah, yeah, yeah. Cool. New York atmosphere, listeners. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I mean, it was. I didn't. I didn't have any context for it. I didn't have a store. Um, I was gonna be. I didn't have an office. I was gonna be home doing it anyways. So, um, for me, it was. I mean, it was definitely an adjustment. Uh, because now it's like the factories are closing or the factories are only working at 50% capacity or yeah. all of these things. Um, so that was more what it was, is just trying to keep on top of the factories and make sure that these things were going. And um, But I feel like not a whole lot for my working life really changed at all. I would still be at home working. I'd still um, yeah, be working like 60 hours a week on the dining room table or on my desk in my bedroom. Like, 
realizing a vision, just getting stuck yeah. in. Yeah, yeah. Still doing a mood board, still doing all these things. Um, yeah. And I, I'm going to jump. I'm going to mix my questions up mm-hmm. that I've got mm-hmm. on my little screen for you because mm-hmm. I want to jump forward. So. Mm-hmm. It sounds to me like you're pretty fearless. You just kind of went, Meh, I'm going to crack on. The world, the world is on fire. We can't go outdoors, but sod it. You know, like some fact that, that some factories are working. I like what I'm doing. This is going to keep me busy. I'm here now. So that you you went through this whole experience in 2020 of bringing mm-hmm. a brand to life. You know, under lockdown mm-hmm. and during COVID and mm-hmm. on your own at your kitchen table. Yeah. And then I want to just skip forward to a few months ago mm. when you were getting ready to launch Autumn Winter 21, mm-hmm. Fall Winter mm-hmm. 21. Mm-hmm. And so you've done, you, that was your third season? Yeah, that was the third season. Third mm-hmm. season. Mm-hmm. Uh, it felt like the brand was getting some kind of critical mass. You've yeah. picked up loads of retailers. Yeah. You've picked up a bit of press. People mm-hmm. are starting to look at what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm bothering you on the other side of the ocean constantly (laughs) being like, what is this? This is cool. Um, And then you open your warehouse, (laughs) you know, shut a door one day and almost all of your autumn winter collection, which was about to launch, had been ruined by the floods in New York. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was like two feet of water in the warehouse. Uh, They told me later on (laughs) when they were cleaning up. Um, one of their guys came to the front and he just had a big bucket with a fish in it and the fish was still swimming. And he was like, what do we do with this? <laughs> and the, the warehouse owner is like, toss it back in the creek. Like, I don't want it. Like, what do you, what do you yeah, expect? Yeah. What are we going to do? It? Eat it. Yeah. Um, oh my God. What was that moment like? Do you remember just do, being presented with the news? Yeah. What, what must, that must've felt awful. I mean, I, yeah, I think it was, um, it was, a lot to take in. I don't really think I did. Um, I think it was more um, just trying to figure out, okay, what do we do? Because um, I hadn't seen it. I The warehouse just called me and said, hey, this is what happened. Because um, I remember getting the floods here in Brooklyn and I mean, I drive a Jeep, so I wasn't really worried about it. Uh, but my roommate's car flooded. And I remember just thinking like, man, that's that was insane that was crazy. I'm glad that all of my things are good. Mm. Um, I'm really bummed about my roommate's engine flooding and like, we're gonna have to fix that in the next few days. But man, I'm, I like scraped by and we're good. Um, and then I got the call two days later from the warehouse and I was like, Oh, okay. Okay. A little bit different. Um, and even then it was like, he's like, you can't come. There's still water on the floor. Like we're still cleaning up. I'll send you pictures, but you can't come yet. You can't visit. Um, I'll schedule a day for you to come next week. And so I was just kind of in limbo, not really knowing. And I mean, we had spring 21 stuff on sale that uh, hadn't shipped out. And I was kind of at that point, I was like, man, okay, we have all these orders over the weekend um, that I don't know the status of these. I don't know if everything is ruined, if these things are, if I can fulfill these orders or not. Um, yeah, and you don't know what of the coming collection is okay exactly. and what isn't. Yeah. And it sounded, um, from what I gathered, like mm-hmm. most of it was ruined. There was, yeah, probably like, ended up being probably like 35 to 40% was just toast. 
Um, and even after trying to clean it, trying to fix it, spending more money to try and work on that, um, some of it just didn't work. Um, where it was even the agents used for the cleaning changed something else where it's like I had this beautiful herringbone with like a green stripe and after the cleaning the stripe was blue and all the, the I used an unbleached cotton um, so you had these like really natural color variations and all of that was just bleached out um, from the wash and there were holes in everything and it looked like um, a mechanic shirt that you literally pulled out of a garage in the 50s like it looked like someone had fixed cars in it for like 50 years. Mm. Um, yeah, so it was, I don't know, it was a lot. And I think kind of communicating all that to the retailers and. Um, yeah, because presumably you then you had a load of exactly, wholesale you couldn't fulfill. Exactly. And I mean, really trying to fulfill it because I had already, because of delays with COVID in the factories, I'd already had to split the delivery kind of in two parts and ended up becoming three or four. Um, cause now it's like, okay, I had stuff that I was planning to ship, but now I have to clean it. And then once I cleaned it, now it's something different. Um, and some of the stuff is okay, but some of the stuff has holes in it or, um, so these other issues. Um, yeah, it was a lot of kind of going back and forth and I mean, trying to be transparent with everyone, trying to tell people like what the situation was kind of when they could expect delivery um how, how yeah. did that feel uh not great um yeah not great at all but there wasn't really another option yeah um, i mean i could cancel it which would be even a big bummer for me and for the retailers so they were super excited about what they bought and i was excited about all the work i'd put into it and um when there were some some styles that were new that were launching and never had a chance like I made hoodies for the first time and yeah we haven't seen them yet yeah they're yeah yeah. um and some other stuff too like yeah I didn't get to ship corduroy retailers really um yeah a bunch of t-shirts that never came or had to be over dyed or other things so um yeah Uh, and so I I just think it's it's such a galling thing to have to work through when you are how old are you now? Twenty eight? Twenty nine now. Twenty nine. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you've gone out on your own, mm-hmm. you're self funding. Mm-hmm. It's your biggest collection ever. Yeah. And and you I, I it just it would just absolutely destroy me. And yet mm-hmm. you seem very serene, very calm, you've cracked on. Yeah. And, uh, how have you just how have you done it? I mean there's no other option, you know, it's like you mm. I don't know, you can't stop you can't really quit um yeah it's it happens <laughs> you just got into spring 22 very yeah. quickly yeah i mean because i was selling i'd sold spring 22 a few weeks beforehand um yeah i mean i think you what do I you think th- if you don't have that resolve or you i don't know i think if you panic when things go wrong it's going to make it worse. Um, and I think sometimes I definitely run into solution mode like way too fast. Um, I don't really like give myself time to process what's going on. Um, but I do think there's still a part of it. It's like, all right, like, okay, this is not what I expected, not what I planned. Um, cause these things happen all the time where it's, you could get a shipment in and all the buttons are wrong or a factory, 
just made it in the wrong color. And I mean, what do you do? Do you scream at the factory and refuse the shipment and tell them to go screw themselves? Or do you look at this color and think about like, okay, is this still a nice color? Does this still fit the collection? Is this still something beautiful? Um, and can I communicate this change and still put it out there? Um, I think there's a huge part of it that, um, yes, everything is super specific and I want it to be as perfect as possible. Um, but that's not what's going to happen. It's never going to come in perfect. There's always going to be some mistake or something wrong. Um, so how do you communicate that? And if you can fix it, let's fix it. If you can't, let's pivot. Let's figure it out. Um, well, I really, I really, really admire that. Peter, I admire your serenity and your <laughs> your pluck um, to keep cracking on. Um, so I guess I just wanted to spend a bit of time mm-hmm. foregrounding that for all our listeners, that uh, this is a young brand that has had uh, a pretty nuts start and mm-hmm. yet is still succeeding. So major props. Thank you. On that note, I wanted to kind of get into the vision for Wythe a little yeah, bit yeah. and what makes it compelling. Mm-hmm. Um to me, what I like about it as a, as a, as a sort of a Brit looking across mm-hmm. the pond is... Yeah, it's a great perspective to hear too. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know how relevant it is, but... Uh, but I mean, I, very relevant. Yeah. I, um, it feels like a very, very nostalgic and yet very contemporary take on American style mm-hmm. through this sort of Texan lens. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm intrigued to sort of get into how you achieve something that feels very sort of nostalgic and, and retrospective and yet very of the moment at the same mm. time. Mm. And I'm sat here looking at your mood board and I, I guess it's a lot of it is comes back to your sort of training. It's the colours, it's the sort of extraordinary sort of earthiness of the collection that feels very timely and the attention that you're paying to fabrics and cuts and gently refining things. I mean, talk to me about what what your sort of vision for why this. Yeah, um, I mean, I think a lot of it just comes down to the way that I want to design. I mean, I don't ever want to reproduce stitch for stitch something from the '30s, from the '40s. Um, I think for me, I'm always thinking of how do I want to wear this, and how is it going to fit in with the rest of my wardrobe. And um, I mean, I am somewhat the target market um, for my brand. I mean, I want to make sure that I'm wearing, that I'm not producing anything I don't want to wear. Um, and I think that helps a whole lot too, where I do wear a lot of vintage, but um, I understand a 15-inch rise on a pair of trousers is maybe not what I'm going to w- want to wear all the time. Um, and I think those are the things that I've kind of thought about. Like, all right, well, what, what rise do I want to wear? What about these garments, would I want to change um, to make sure that I could wear these every day and still retain the kind of authenticity of it and still retain the story of it. Um, but how do I make sure that it, it at the same time looks like it was in your grandfather's closet and also doesn't look like it, it almost it looks like a beautiful piece where you maybe found it in a vintage store in the back room and you've never seen this color before, you've never seen this fabric before, um, but it makes sense and it fits so well. Mm-hmm. And it fits with what it, the rest of the clothes you're wearing. Um, I mean, I think of a lot of my friends back home from Texas that um, maybe have 
shopped at J. Crew, shopped at these other brands, um, and are wanting something more unique, wanting something a little bit different. Um, and they're not going to wear a 15-inch rise. They're not going to understand maybe why a chain stitch runoff is so important or why these things are the way they are. Um, so all these details need to be functional as well, and they need to be beautiful. And um, I think knowing that that is my target market is makes it a little bit easier to uh, make sure that these things feel authentic and look authentic, but at the same time can fit with everyone else's wardrobe. Um, yeah. What that a slightly broader kind of question? If mm-hmm. if, if why this sort of a reimagining of the sort of greatest hits of, of yeah. Texan style? Mm. I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about where your head's at in relation to American style in general. Yeah. Is American style in a good place right now? Is it in a confused place? Is it in a chaotic place? What what what? Mm. How, how how are you thinking about the kind of broader American style landscape at the moment? I mean. So also, I, I don't, yeah, I don't, I think any Texan viewpoint is uh, kind of unconscious. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because I, I definitely think I, or at least this is the way I'm trying to view the collection, do the collection is, um, I mean, looking at kind of America and like worldwide in general, if, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not explicitly trying to make things Western. I think that. Um, there's generally an ethos or a detail that appeals to me and I think like even the first collection I remember um, sending out marketing and, and talking to buyers and then asking the story about the collection um, and that's when I realized that it was a, had western influences is it wasn't when I was designing it and I remember someone being like dude this western wear collection is amazing and we were thinking like this isn't a western wear collection and then looking at it and then being like really like dude everything has pearl snaps everything like all of these details you made cowboy boots and i was like yeah but that doesn't make it western wear and they're like what like what else would it be um yeah and i think i think a lot of that is unconscious so a lot of it is like i'm thinking of why there's an american brand and i'm uh would definitely stand way more inspired by americana um than i am something specific to the southwest or specific to the south um I don't know, and I think American style, I don't think it's ever been in a necessarily good or a bad place. I think um, America is so big. So you have so many different tribes, you have so many different people, um, and there's always people that are doing amazing things. Like you can go to any era, any year, um, and there's gonna be multiple, multiple groups of people that you're like, man, these guys get it. This is inspiring, this is amazing. I don't think that's ever not been the case. And there's also always been people who are like, man, like these people just didn't really care. And because I think the, what I really love is um, whether I like the pieces or not, when I see someone that's wearing something and it looks like they're confident in it and they're wearing the clothes um, and it represents their style and it represents their personality. And I think no matter what, whether you're like head to toe in Rick Owens or any of these other things, um, as long as that is who you are and you feel comfortable, that is what like appeals to me. And that's when I'm like, man, like that looks really good. Mm. That's, I would not wear that. That's not going to be in my wardrobe, but that looks amazing. It makes me wonder whether in a funny kind of way, Mm -hmm. um, 
COVID sort of did you a bit of a favour because for such a young brand, a brand that's only two, two and a half years old, Wythe feels so, to me at least, it feels so sort of clear mm. and um, composed and focused. And I wonder whether, to your earlier point, that weird year did just give you the time to think and really, mm-hmm. really compose something. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, and I think even the fact of, I've thought about it a lot of, like, I didn't, I didn't have a physical store. I only had a line. Um, so there was no way for people to see the clothes in person before they got it. So you have to tell that story. You have to have compelling images. You have to have something super clear where somebody sees a picture of it and they know that it appeals to them. Um, and they know that it's something special. And I think so many of um, what I love about the clothes I make is like these small intricate details or maybe small shifts in color or things like that that are really hard to present with photography or um, really hard to present over a screen. But not allowing that to be an excuse, um, I think is, yeah, there's no, I mean, the same way, there's like, there's no other way. If I think the shirt is incredible and these is, these are what makes it special and I'm not able to communicate that, it's just a t-shirt. Um, so I think even from the get-go, yeah, because there was no way for anyone to try anything on. Mm. Um, there was no way, people were like asking like, hey, do you have a New York store? No. I'm shipping stuff out of my apartment um, for the first like eight months. It's like, no, you're, I'm not going to allow you to come over to my apartment and try on this t-shirt. Like, I'll yeah. ship it to you. Um, and then if you don't like it, you can send it back. But um, yeah, I think that I agree. It was in, in a kind of roundabout way. Um, yeah, it did kind of leave space for like a lot of thought and a lot of, um, kind of deliberation over things and, mm. and is this really what I want to spend and I think self-funding too where it's like okay if I'm making a sample even a sample I know how much it's going to cost and if I'm going to do a production run of this I need to know that I really want to do this and if I'm going to show it at market and I'm going to even if people don't buy it and I need to talk to that factory okay can I afford the minimum here um, and if not I need to really think about this. Mm. I think the thoughtfulness of Wythe really, really shows through mm. in the product and the brand and the imagery you mm. create as well, which is beautiful. Thank you. Um, I wanted to, as we start to wrap up a little bit, mm-hmm. to ask sort of what's the end goal for this mm. brand? You know, what's the what's the big dream? You've mentioned mm. a couple of times you don't have a store. Is mm-hmm. a Wythe store? I'd love that, yeah. Um, definitely am trying to... Um, have a pop-up space in New York uh, for fall. Uh, that I think that would be, that's maybe the next logical step to me. Um, knowing that's going to cost a ton of money and I don't, haven't found that money yet. Um, but yeah, I think the dream is to grow and to, and not to grow just because of growth, but um, to start to get larger so that I can also like, um, give my, like the factories I work with, like give them larger orders, give the mills larger orders. And, um, I get so, so much of it where they've trusted me enough. Um, 
and a lot of the mills have even been so encouraging of like, hey, I know these orders are, because I've, I've apologized, like, man, these orders are so small. I'm really sorry. And then just telling you like, hey, look, like, it's okay. You're going to get there. We believe in you because this stuff is amazing. Like what you're, what you're doing with us, we believe in. Um, and I think it's, yeah, it's a grow as well for that of like, so these factories that have been with me from the beginning, I can start to actually make their orders good too and uh, make sure that we're both making money and that we're both able to continue to do this. Um, yeah, I mean, this has been like the dream for as long as I remember and that isn't really changing. Um, it's more so can we continue to grow to the point where we're able to be big enough to really communicate this even better, um, to have budget for even better photo shoots and even better photos and um, I mean have budgets to build out a store and or build out an experience or um, yeah I mean really travel and meet with new buyers and do more pop-ups and do trunk shows and um, things like that I think it's yeah I mean really the idea is to uh, have enough resources to do an even better job of what we're already doing or what I'm already doing. It's delightful to hear you say that despite the last two and a half years throwing many challenges in mm-hmm. your way, that you effectively are living the dream and, oh, yeah. and loving this. Yeah. So what then would you say to other young designers or creatives who mm. are thinking about doing their own thing? Um... I think there is, yeah, a couple of things. I think you got to count the costs. Um, it's hard. It's really hard. And you, any any sort of way that you imagine it being hard is going to be different. Um, there's going to be things that you thought would happen that don't happen. There's going to be things that you never dreamed of happening too, for <laughs> both a good and a bad way. Um, and I think if you are not 100% committed don't do it. Um, and at the same time, it's completely okay and good to start small. Um, I started with one product and ended up doing three colors in that and really focused on it and really wanted to make sure I nailed it. Um, and I was able to grow from that. Um, I think it's it, in the same vein of really knowing, counting your costs, I think okay to limit the scope and it's maybe even better um if you can successfully launch one or two products that's good okay now try it a little bit more if you if you can't successfully launch one or two products it doesn't make sense to launch 10 um and i think it's yeah lean on your friends like there's not i did not do this by myself um, even if I'm the only one on the payroll right now, I did not do this by myself. There's so many people that are still helping me out so much that are offering advice, telling me like, yeah, I, I shop at that store. I love that store. You should go for it. Um, or dude, even friends, like friends buying my clothes and giving me honest feedback of like, man, I love these hats. You have to keep doing these. Or dude, this shirt was my favorite shirt you need to make it again or yeah, I got this shirt in and it was kind of small. Um, 
that is so important. And also the support of just like friends telling you like, dude, I love what you're doing. This is exciting, um, is so important. And yeah, you're not going to do it by yourself no matter how big or small your team you have. Um, yeah. And I think it's also, don't be afraid to try it. I mean, it's, it's a very serious thing, but it's also if you're doing it for yourself and if you're doing it for the right reasons, which I think is kind of just for yourself, if you're making a product that you love and even if no one else buys it, you're still happy with it. That's great. doesn't mean you're going to be successful, but it means that you're doing the right thing. Um, every sample you make, you should be excited about it. And if no one else buys it, that's fine. You have a sample, make it in your size. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Enjoy um, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Peter, thank you so much. I think there, there are a lot of really, really lovely little sort of pearls of wisdom in there mm. for listeners and for other creatives. Um, I think your, uh, your drive over the, the last couple of years to just work through everything that's been thrown at you is really, really showing in the mm. brand. And um, I'm hugely excited to see where Wythe goes next. Um, but it's lovely to kind of hear a bit more of your story and yeah. to have a chance to meet you. So thank you. Yeah, likewise. Yeah, great to meet you all too. That's all for this week, folks. Thank you very much indeed for tuning in. Note that this podcast is produced by Birch, a London-based creative agency that has specialised in the fields of luxury and lifestyle since 2009. Our sound editor and brilliant theme music composer is Mr. Joe Boyd. You can hear more from him on social media and SoundCloud at This Is Joe Boyd. If you enjoyed the episode, please do leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and follow us on Instagram at Handcut Radio. That's all from us. I hope you'll tune in again soon.